Remain standing for the reading of the text this morning from Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Now hear the word of God. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what will you eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? Our gracious Father, as we come to this passage, we are so needy to have our faith strengthened in the very promises and the very reasoning that our Lord gives us here. And so we ask that the Spirit of God would open our hearts, open our minds, that we would attend into these things and embrace them, and may the peace of God flood our souls new and fresh today in your sovereign love and protection and provision for us, your people. And may we be content and just have our hearts rested and settled in this matter today, committed from here on not to worry and to glorify you, to be the light that you've called us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. The projected number for the consumer debt in America by the end of this year is projected for us Americans to go into debt to spend money on things which does not include our mortgages. That projection of consumer debt is intended or at least forecasted to be in tops $4 trillion. Americans owe more than 26% of their annual income to this debt. That number has risen 22% since 2010. It's an unprecedented trend in the history of the world. And we Christians in America are living right in the middle of this cultural phenomenon and consuming more and more and can't get enough to satisfy, so we borrow more in order to acquire more. And we have so much, and yet we can never get enough. We are so consumed with ourselves that we continue to heap up more and more and more. And this sinful fallenness affects every one of us growing up in this environment. It's the air that we breathe in this nation to the extent that we actually worry about things that other peoples don't even know exist. And we Christians are guilty and we struggle here as well. This is a message over the next couple of weeks, which is not a message for you to be thinking about anybody else but yourself. 
Because if you're truly honest, you're going to struggle with worry and anxiety somewhere in your life, sometime in your life, about something, and perhaps you are one that is just controlled by this. And Jesus is addressing this very thing. Jesus has the answer for us here, and he's teaching us in in such a gentle way. He is going to bring us to strengthen our faith. And while the magnitude of the proportion that we are seeing around us has never been seen in the history of the world, it's nothing new. The problem has always been there. And our Lord addresses something here in this passage that we need to hear and we need to heed and we need to obey. And herein lies the liberty that we need as Christians living in this kind of environment to be the light in the dark world that He's called us to be. He's preaching to kingdom citizens. He's preaching to you and me as the light in the world, which is a contrast to all of the culture and the accumulation and the worry and the anxiety and the heaping up. I remember last week that we looked, and I mentioned that verse 24 is the hinge in which this passage turns. And so everything from 19 through 24 is kind of leading up to this. And then we have the hinge in verse 24. And then on the back side of that, we have verses 25 through 34, which then begins working its way back out. And why is verse 24 the hinge verse here? Because in the verses 19 through 22... 23, we are reading about one aspect of these two full-time masters that Jesus is revealing to us in verse 24. And there's a tension between the material part of us and the spiritual part of us. Both are true and both are needy. And here, verse 24, is the hinge because there are two ways to be enslaved by the material things that Jesus does not want us to be enslaved to. Verses 19 through 23, as we're approaching that hinge, is treasuring up material things. It's treasuring up treasures, and we ought not to be treasuring up material treasures here on this earth. But then the pendulum swings, or or the, the hinge, the door swings on its hinge, and then it says in verses 9 or 25 through 34 that there is a constant anxiety over not having enough. So the first half is the man who is consumed with having more than enough, and the second half is the man who is consumed because he worries of not having enough, but both are consumed and fixated on material things that Jesus says, no, no for my people. And he's teaching us how to be delivered from this fixation of material things. Everyone who is not a kingdom citizen naturally fixates on the material things. whether it's treasuring up the material possessions or whether it's worrying about money or what money can buy, the Lord teaches us that both of these are at the same root issue. The Both of them are the same thing. And that's why 19 is the hinge verse. You can't serve two masters. 
And he's teaching us because we have such a material makeup and structure and he knows that we need material to live. He knows that we need money. We need money right now. He knows this, but he does not want you to be controlled by it. He does not want you to have a love for it. He does not want you to be fixated upon it. He doesn't want you to be treasuring it up. He doesn't want you to worry about it. And he's given us here the teaching that will liberate us so that we can serve the one master, God himself. So as we come to this portion today, the key teaching is for us to stop worrying over money. That's exactly how he puts it in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, do not worry about it. Our Lord here forbids his people to stop worrying over material things. Now, he's not diminishing at all the fact that we need material things. He knows we need things to to exist and to survive and to live life. But what he's doing is he's forbidding us to stop or to even worry about them. He's forbidding us not to worry. Now the grammar here is important to recognize because there's a few points here that brings out the full force of this passage. The grammar is an emphatic command. He's not giving a suggestion. He's not saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't do this. He is giving a command in one of the strongest emphatic ways in which he can. He's not giving a suggestion. He is commanding us, and to disobey this command is a sin. And I confess with you, I sin quite frequently in this capacity. And that is why we have to come today to terms with this passage, me included, and to make some commitments to move from life from here on with some embracing of what Jesus is telling us to liberate us from this. Now the way that the Greek is constructed can be translated this way. Stop worrying. It's assuming that we are worry-ridden and that we are already in the process of this, the state of doing this, and it is telling us, come to an abrupt stop with that. That is how the Greek grammar works here. Stop doing that. Now, worry is an idea here, or the term, it means to be torn. It doesn't mean not to ever think about these things. But the word worry means to be torn, to have an apprehension, an anxiety over material things. The Lord does not want us to be torn or to have an apprehension over the things of life. And that's why in verse 31, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we put on? And you know, that summarizes everything in life that we could worry about. How am I going to pay this month's bills? I keep having to get the car fixed and I'm worried I won't have enough money for all the other things I need. How am I going to afford the medical procedure that I need next month? The mortgage payment 
is due. How will I ever have enough money to retire? Oh, I worry about retirement. How is, is that going to work? How can I afford all of these children? What if my business doesn't succeed? Where are my next clients going to come from? These kinds of questions keep going round and round and pulling at us and nagging at us so that it tears us. Now, the Bible does tell us that we are to be wise. Go to the ant. Learn from the ant, sluggard. We are to save up for those occasions. He's not saying don't ever consider these things. He says don't ever worry about them. Don't worry. In fact, he's saying stop doing that. So the Lord starts this passage with telling us to stop doing something, assuming that this is part of our makeup, part of what we're doing. But the Lord is gracious, and he goes on to explain here why. And he gives several reasons why we have no need to worry, and those reasons are given to us over the course of five questions, which has a sequential order and a logic to them that is very deliberate by our Lord, because he knows how we're made up. He knows how we think. He anticipates the next answer. First question in verse 25 Is life not more than food and drink and clothing? Verse 26, are you not more valuable than a bird? Verse 27, can you add one length of measure to your life? Verse 24, why worry about your clothing? And the second part of the same question, then in verse 30, how much more will God not clothe you? Now, that last question in verse 30 says, how much more will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And it's put in form of a question, but that question is now a rebuke to us. And the question points to the rebuke right at the very heart of the matter about our faith. Jesus is addressing kingdom citizens in this passage, those who have the character of the kingdom, those who have the Beatitudes and who are poor of spirit and who are meek and mourn. He's addressing those who have a ministry of light and salt in this fallen dark world. And to have that light go out, we have to be distinguishably different. So we are to even love our enemies. To be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. This is that righteousness that he is speaking about that's exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And part of that righteous practice is not to worry. The world worries. But it should not be characteristic of us. And this righteousness that exceeds that which is of the scribes and Pharisees comes to us by faith, and we are also to live that life by faith. And that's what he is addressing right here. O ye of little faith. 
See, that is our calling. Our calling is to live by faith. That is how we are to live in this life as Christians. And that's the heart of the matter that comes to us to liberate us from this worry, from fear, from apprehension, from this being torn and controlled. See, faith begins with an alteration of my mind by the Word of God. Faith begins with an alteration in my mind by the Word of God. The word repentance in the New Testament Greek means to have a change of mind. And what's bringing that is the Word of God to say what mind I need to have, what my mind needs to change to, from. What Jesus is doing here is He's calling us to live by faith. And to live by faith will completely equip us with the faith that we will never have to worry again. You don't believe that, do you? That's what he's doing. He is equipping us. And certainly we won't be perfect in this. But we do need to walk away from here today making a commitment to Jesus Christ to be more illuminated lights in this world by committing to him not to worry. That's what he's doing. Now, the way he's going to do that, because faith begins with this alteration in my mind by the word of God, he's going to reason with our minds. Now, the Lord didn't have to tell us why. He's not going to have, he could just command us, right? And we're supposed to go do it. But he's gentle here. He's gracious. And he's going to begin reasoning with our minds so that our hearts may come to rest in the very words that he speaks. He's trying to settle not only our minds, but he's trying to settle our hearts and the very thing that he knows we struggle with. So he commands, stop worrying. He now is going to equip us with the grace to do what he commands. And the crux of this matter is simply to trust God. Trust God. And Jesus here is going to begin to build up that faith by reasoning with us in our minds so that our hearts can come just to rest on the truth, on the facts. The facts. And those questions he's now going to give to us in a sequential order that you will see he's going to begin to back us right into the corner and then he's going to say, now here it is. Just trust. The first question we have in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will ever eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The question he's asking here, what really is the essence of life? You're not a brute beast. Is life really not more than eating and drinking and clothing? Isn't life more than the material world? Isn't that the point that Jesus was driving at with the foolish man in the parable when he went to build bigger barns because he was accumulating more treasure so he had to tear down his small barns to build bigger ones? And he says, you know, your life will be required of thee this night and then whose will these things be? 
This is the point Jesus was getting at when he says, what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world but loses his own soul? This is the point that Paul was saying when he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Is not life more than this material? We bought a new slash used car not long ago, and as we were dealing with the sales rep... He was showing us a particular feature about the car that we didn't know exists. But then he goes, on and says, you know, I had a guy come in here about a month ago, or however long it was, and he said he was specifically looking for a set of features for a car. And one of those important features for him that was a drop-dead you know, showstopper, if he didn't get it, was an air-conditioned steering wheel. He says, I've heard of heating steering wheels, but an air-conditioned steering wheel. I was speaking of a, to a local iron worker that many of you know not long ago, and he was working on this elaborate railing for a stone house that was 22,000 square feet with three people, a man, a wife, and their single child. The average American spends $151 per week, per person, on food. That's about $7,800 per person on food, on average. For my family, still living in my home, not including the two that are already departed, that would cost me, using those averages over $62,000 a year just in food, according to the American average. Americans spend an average of $2,000 per year per person on clothes alone. In my house, if I went by that particular average, that would be about $16,000. I haven't done the math, but 16, that would be about $78,000 just for food and clothing by the American average per year for my household. And I haven't even begun to think about anything else. And what Jesus is asking here in this question that we have to wrestle with, isn't the essence of life more than that? And the way he asks the question, the answer is already implied. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? See, he expects a positive answer. He expects us to answer this question right. Well, yeah, it is. The Bible does not tell, or the Bible does tell us that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And it doesn't mean we eat our Bibles. But what it does mean is that we direct our lives by the Word of God, and that is what life consists of.
So we come to agree with Jesus that the answer of the first question is that life indeed is more than the material. Okay? All right, Jesus. Yes. To question number one. I've got that one. So he goes to question number two, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Question number two. So now Jesus calls our attention to the creation around him. You can probably imagine on the Sermon on the Mount that there were birds flying over or perhaps maybe you could hear them in the trees in the distance as he's preaching this very message. And he just picks a a figure out of his creation to illustrate the point here. We see birds every day. Every morning, our country, our rural country, awakens to the sound of crows. I dare say you could probably go out on any given morning right around sunrise or maybe a little bit before and look out and you're going to see crows flying over and they're going to be calling. They just kind of wake up the nature. But birds were a fifth day creation creature. Not even the highest order of the animal life which was created on the sixth day. And he calls out birds for us to consider some facts about them. First of all, they do not sow. They they do not have a responsibility for productivity. And they do not reap. They are not responsible for gathering up and storing away. None of that goes on, and yet they are fed. They don't worry about their food. And Jesus compares the value of birds to your life. And he does this very, in an ingenious way, because he knows how we think. There's a lot of people that do not think that they have much value to God with their life. Many Christians think this way. People are prone to make unfair and unwise comparisons with other people. In fact, that is the basis of pride and insecurity in our life. Comparing yourself with other people. And some Christians even evaluate their own worth in God's eyes by comparing them to other people, like missionaries or full-time pastors or officers in the church or highly gifted people that God uses in a high-profile way. And they conclude that their life doesn't seem to be as valuable to God. And that's the mentality that the Lord is addressing here. So the first question He's asking us, you're a man and not an animal, right? And isn't life more than just material and hunting and gathering and and seeking like the animal life? And, And your answer is, yeah. Yes, it is. Well, you got that question right, but now Jesus seems to know where people's thinking is going with next and the possible objection that they're going to give. Yes, but my life doesn't mean much in God's eyes. I'm not a very valuable person. And that's the tendency people have when they compare themselves with other people. (laughs) 
And what our Lord does here is He expects that kind of unreasonableness of untruth, and that's why He asks this question, how does your life stack up in value to the bird? You don't see dead birds all over the ground. You don't see dead birds when you wake up, you open up the back door and you look out and there's dead birds all over the pasture. You don't see hardly many dead birds as you're driving down the road. Even in the height of winter, when the winter is at the most severe, you don't see dead birds. In fact, when the, the time that comes when there's a white blanket of beautiful snow that just covers the area, you know what usually the sign of life that you will see that is in such sharp, sharp contrast against that white? You probably know, don't you? A red cardinal. You always, I always see red cardinals. And they're out. And they look pretty joyful and pretty happy And they're not starving and they're not dying, even in the hard winter. And Jesus explains this in terms of your heavenly Father. He says here in verse 26, Your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. He's not suggesting at all that birds feed themselves but rather that it is God, your heavenly Father, who particularly feeds the birds. He loves the birds. He loves to see them alive. He loves to see them flourishing. He loves to see them flying. He loves to see them against the snow. And so Jesus asked the question, are you and your life not more valuable than a bird? And notice again, he asks the question, and he words it in a way that the answer is already implied. Jesus expects us to get this question right too. He wants us to get a hundred on this test. He is working our minds with the reasonableness of truth. He didn't have to do that, but that's what he's doing. Friend, the value to God for your individual life is so proven that while you were yet a sinner, God so loved you that He sent Jesus to die for you. To sacrificially die for you. That is how valuable you are to God. He didn't do that for birds. And yet He feeds them. And He did that equally for you as He did for missionaries and pastors and and tremendously gifted apostles of old and the teachers of the past and for anybody else that is highly gifted with with the Spirit of God. He did that equally for you as He did for them. The value of your life to God is measured in the sacrifice of His Son that He gave for you. 
And you ought never to worry over food again because God loves you and your value is far greater than the birds which God personally feeds. See, he's got us backing into the corner. Two questions down, he comes to the third question. And he anticipates in this third question the fallen human response. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? He anticipates the fallen human response of, yes, but. He's anticipating that. He knows how our minds work. Yes, all of the birds will one day die, and I will too. And what he's saying here, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a statue? The word cubit is really a measurement. It can be a measurement of length, but it is not necessarily um, limited to that. The word stature here is literally the word that means age or maturity. How many of you worrying can add one length to your life is what he's saying. How many of you by worrying can add any days to your life? Can you extend your life one minute longer by worrying? See, there's a progression in the questions. He's gotten us to admit that life is indeed more than material. All right, I'm there. And then he says, he's gotten us to agree that our life has immense value to him, even because of what his love is for us. He's demonstrated that to us in the death and sacrifice of his son upon the cross. And, okay, I can admit that now. Uh, Now this nagging question is, how long will I live still plagues me? But he then says, how can you prolong your life? You can't prolong it by worrying. Who can prolong his life by worrying? And the answer is, no one can. And here's the problem. They think they can. We think we can. We think by adding more exercise, we're going to live longer. It's not true. By adding dietary supplements, by some regiment in life, by pouring essential oil all over me all the time, you're not going to live longer. By peculiar health remedies and treatments, you're not going to live longer. We think we can. You're not going to do it. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. I try to exercise every day. I try to eat well most of the time. I take supplements every day. Occasionally I use essential oils, but I'm not adding one single moment to my life by doing that. 
And sometimes we really think that we can add to the length of our days by using some of those things and we can become rather insistent, rather convicted over these things so that we also think that these things ought to be something that you agree to and as well. We get pretty, pretty insistent about that. Well, I know we can't extend our life forever, but we can for another five years or so. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. Jesus says you cannot do that. And this is what the truth says. And this is what reality is. This is the fact. This is the truth. And you're going to have to wrestle with this. Or we think we can live longer by driving rather than flying. You can't do that. Not going to happen. You think you can worry about your life and, and your health and your safety, and yet God doesn't want you to worry about any of that stuff. No, no granted. I know a little bit, not as much as Jesus did, certainly not, but I know a little bit of how the fallen human mind works. And you're immediately having all these questions that pop up in your mind. Oh, yes, well, what about this? What about that? Yes, what? Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. Right? I do the yes, buts all the time. That's why I can preach it to you, because I'm by experiential note. I'm an expert in this area. That's why I need to change. We are in an area, granted, of where human responsibility and divine sovereignty are a part of the chemistry. Now, I believe I could walk out of here today and I believe I could take my life. And I believe that if I did, I would be cutting short the life that God gave me. But on the other hand, I don't believe that I can live a single day longer than what God from all eternity has already determined that I will live. My days are numbered. And God says, teach me wisdom that I might live them in wisdom. No amount of worry will add a single minute to your life. So why worry about it? Jesus is emphatic here, and He specifically brings this question to bear because He knows how we think. And he's also asking this question in such a way that the assumption of the answer is positive. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And we're all supposed to agree, well, no one. Three for three. So far, you've got a hundred. And he comes to the fourth question. In verses 28 and 29. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Why worry about clothing? You know, clothing is very important to God. It wasn't very important to us. It was important to God. When we first fell in the garden, God had to clothe us in a way that we could not clothe ourselves. And clothing was what God intended to clothe our fallenness. Even with Aaron, he had to wear britches. 
even underneath his long robe so that he would not be immodest to God as he stepped over the threshold that God would not see his nakedness. Clothing is really important to God. But he draws our attention here again to creation. In fact, he points out the beauty of the grass and the flowers that he's created. And he answers the term of clothing in terms of Solomon's existence. And everybody knows Solomon. Even the fallen world today, the fallen world, the people and the pagans, they know of Solomon and his glory. And Jesus uses this historical renowned figure to show that even in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, he was not even arrayed like one of these flowers that I've created. And what Jesus is talking about is grasping beauty and glory and splendor. He's no longer talking about mere existence in life. He's no longer talking about food and drink and how long life will last. He's talking about the glory of existence. Why did he go there? I can acknowledge that life is more than material. I can acknowledge that my life is now more valuable than a bird. And I can acknowledge that I cannot add one moment to my life by worrying. But what about the quality of my existence? See, he knows where the mind's going to go next. And he's going to, and he's going to know that we're going to be, yes, but. Money isn't everything, but it is something. Life can be more enhanced with some money beyond just mere survival. And Jesus is addressing that tendency to say, I know that God will provide for my life every day and that he intends for me to live, but I wish I had a little better wardrobe. I wish I had a little nicer car. I wish I had a little nicer house. I wish I had a little better aesthetics of life. And I think Jesus is addressing this tendency. He's not catering to this covetous and idolatrous world that we live in, but he's comparing Solomon with grass. And even Solomon in the greatest splendor of his glory was not even compared to what Jesus is talking about. And he's addressing a mentality Do you think God then will allow some subsistence level where you're always looking out of place? Where you always just look like you've come out of a rag closet? Is is that what God is hoping for your life? Just the bare minimum to, to push you down at that level? Now granted, there are very rare occasions where God has called certain people and gifted them and put them in very difficult situations where they have very little for the sake of his kingdom and for his glory. But because we might be able to even think about one or two of those, the exception is proving the rule. You see? He knows where our mind goes. He knows what we're going to worry about. And he's saying, you just need to stop the worry. And so right now, he has us backed up against the wall. 
Yes, but. Yes, but. No, God's taking care of that too. God's taking care of that too. God's taking care of that too. And what Jesus has done is he's reasoned with us with truth. Truth that every single one of you can look back on your life and say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, he's right. He's got us right where he wants us so he can put his finger right on the heart of the problem. O ye of little faith. That's the problem. He's reasoned with our minds to begin to change the way we think so our hearts can just rest in this. He's telling us, stop worrying. I don't want you to ever worry again. And he's giving us, he is giving us the way that our minds and hearts can come to rest with the truth. You have to believe. You've got to trust Jesus. And you look back and you see what He's already done for you. You can see He's not a liar. You can see all of that He's brought you through. You can see He's provided for you even more than the birds and the lilies of the field. You can see how well you're clothed today. You can see that He is faithful. You can see this is truth. And now, why do you still worry? Our lack of faith in these things plagues us all day long. We sometimes believe Jesus for our salvation, but we seldom believe Jesus Himself or what He says in places like this. Right? Am I right there? So, a closing application to consider how much money would it take you to have saved up in the bank so that you will feel at ease about your future? If you just think about that for a moment, how much would it take in the bank, and let's just say that bank is secure, that would just put your mind at ease about the future? There's some people here that probably would say, if, if I just had enough to pay my monthly bills every month, that's the amount it would take if I could just live off those dividends. There's some here today who said, well, enough to pay their bills, but have some thousands in the savings account to to cover something I'm not prepared for. So for the person who says, if I just had enough to pay my bills every month, that would be enough. Well, you know, there are people here today that have enough to pay their bills every month, and they still worry. There are people here today that can pay their bills every month and probably still have thousands left over in their bank who still worry. Well, if my house was paid for and I had that amount in the bank, there are people here today who have their house paid for and who have thousands in the bank whose bills are paid for every month who still worry. 
If I had my retirement secure, if I just knew that was tidied up and, and just fixed where I could count on that, and yet there are people like that here today and Christians in the church like that who still worry. So the last question for the day, how much money do you think it will take to relieve you from this enslavement? And I want you to get the answer right and get 100%. And isn't the answer apparent? There's not enough money ever, no matter what. The only thing that's going to relieve us is faith. You might not worry about money, but you might worry about something else. You might worry about your life. You might worry about your kids. You might worry about how they're going to grow. You might worry about your grandkids. You might worry about this. But the only thing that's going to relieve you from this bondage is faith in the promises of the love and the goodness of God, your heavenly Father, who feeds the birds, who clothes the, ant, the, the, the grass. And how much more of value are you than they? God will provide for you if you trust him. God will provide for you. And God will not just provide minimalistically if you trust him. And you seek him and his kingdom first, which we'll get into on the next message. This is a critically important thing to do. As we are living in an environment of materialism, and God has called us to be the light of this dark world, if we live just like the world and living from worry to worry and fear to fear and anxiety to anxiety, we are not illuminating this place with the gospel. And we are different because we trust these promises and we give our lives to these promises and we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's what makes us so different and distinct. We have got to stop worrying and trust the gospel and trust what Jesus says here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We have needed this today. We have needed this. And oh God, we need the Spirit of God driving it down into the heart of hearts to change the way we think so that we would believe in this reasonableness, this argument that Jesus our Lord has given us himself, pointing out all these things in creation and yet comparing our lives as so much more valuable we thank you, Lord, for providing for us in ways that we have not even acknowledged or understood or seen. We are thankful for protecting us in ways that we do not recognize. We are thankful, O oh God, for being our God and calling us to be your people. We are the sheep of your pasture, and your pastures are lush, green, and your waters are deep, and they are cool, and they are pleasant. And Lord, how thankful we are. We are such a foolish and stiff-necked people and so hard of hearts that we so distrust you and doubt the things and believe what our eyes can see or compare ourselves with other people. And Lord, we are thankful that you have reset us today in this truth. And we pray that we would walk away from here with greater understanding, with greater peace and at ease 
no matter what life may bring, no matter what our situation is or what tomorrow may bring, we can just live at ease knowing that our God has orchestrated and provided for everything we need for life and for godliness through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.